0: In writing notes, filing insurance claims, and scheduling with clients, it can be hard to stay organized. That's why I recommend Therapy Notes. Their easy to use platform lets you manage your practice securely and efficiently. Visit therapynotes.com to get two free months of therapy notes by just using the promo code CEU when you sign up for a free trial at therapynotes.com. I'd like to welcome everybody to today's presentation on developing hardiness and resilience. We've been talking a lot about crisis and trauma and kind of depressing stuff over the past few weeks. And so this week I decided I wanted to switch to positive topics. How can we develop hardiness and resilience? It doesn't even need to be in terms of treating it for someone who doesn't have it, but for, for small children, for the people that you know are around us how can we help them enhance their hardiness and resilience so they can live happier yes i'm redis- ridiculously optimistic today sorry <laughs> um actually not sorry objectives we are going to define resilience and identify characteristics that make people more resilient and ways they can enhance those characteristics and hopefully i will get some um suggestions from you guys along the way about techniques that you do actually put this through we'll define hardiness right at the end and examine why hardiness is important to resilience resilience is the capacity to bounce back and on one of my other videos about resilience I would I had a beach ball with an elephant standing on top of it Um, when you explain it to kids sometimes I I used to like to do it in the pool because you could take a beach ball and you could push it underwater and resilience is the ball bouncing back up and like flying out of the water Anything you can do that is active, especially with kids, tends to um, make a point. For those of you who are older, um, you may remember Weeble Wobbles, and that was my first um, example of resilience, but then I realized that a lot of people don't know what Weeble Wobbles are anymore. So if you're younger and you have no idea what I'm talking about, go online, you know, do do a search and you'll find out about Weeble Wobbles and the things that amused us back in the 70s. Anyhow, characteristics of resilient people, they are aware of their vulnerabilities and they minimize them whenever possible. They have a healthy self-esteem, a strong social support system, self-awareness, self-efficacy, problem-solving skills. They practice acceptance on a regular basis and that's radical acceptance, not just occasional here and their acceptance. They can c- tolerate distress and tend to have an optimistic viewpoint. Let's start out with vulnerabilities. We want to help people become aware of all of their vulnerabilities. And a lot of times we start out with emotional vulnerabilities. What things make you sad, angry, stressed, feel guilty? You can list all those um, dysphoric emotions and have people identify what makes them feel that way there are a variety of different activities that i use kind of go-to activities in group counseling that can get a little boring sometimes but they're easy to implement Uh, if you have flip chart paper or i found a much cheaper way to do it is to order a roll of banner paper and you can get that for really cheap and then just tear it off every two feet Anyhow, um, and then you can hang that up on the wall and identify, like on one of them, you would put guilt, and another one, you would put anger, and another one would put resentment. You see where I'm going? And you'd post those up around the room, and you would have your group participants go around the room and identify on each thing. What makes them feel that way? So you develop a laundry list of things that trigger guilt and a laundry list of things that may trigger anger in people. And then you can start talking about those individually. So that's one way to get up and get people moving and thinking and actually applying it instead of just sitting there staring at you with this blank look on their face. Identifying sources of stress or happiness is also important, including happiness, curiosity. What are some other positive emotions that um, we might encourage people to feel? Happiness and curiosity are my two go-tos. Enthusiasm, you know, maybe that's another one. I kind of put that with happiness. But anyhow, you can do the same thing with putting the um, paper around the room and having people list what makes them feel that way. Another thing that I've done with happiness, just because, you know, I like to, um, I don't know, I'm, when I'm wanting to do things on happiness, I like to do things that are kind of silly anyway. So I encourage us to get back in touch with our um, inner child and we do the ABCs and we go around and each person in the group is the next letter so the first person is a and they say something that starts with a that helps them feel happy like apples i don't know if apples make you happy and the next person identifies something that begins with b that makes them happy like babies and c is for cats see how we do it and you can go all the way around the room um doing that and some of them are a little bit more challenging like x and q which is when it gets a little bit fun um But that's something else to do besides having the uh, posters around the room. And that also encourages or forces everybody to participate because you're just going from person to person to person. Once they've identified their sources of use stress, you want to talk about ways to encourage those. You know, if they talk about cats is for C. Okay, well, do you have a cat? And if you don't, you know, How can you tap into that? What things can you bring into your life that can make you happy? Maybe it's just going online and watching videos of cats because they're allergic or whatever, Um, but identifying the things that make them happy and then how to bring that into their life, taking that knowledge and putting it into practice. And that's what we try to do with everything, isn't it? Then we move on to mental sources of distress and stress. Mental distress is confusion, difficulty making decisions, poor problem solving, you know, all that stuff that goes along with anxiety, depression, fatigue. Um, so we want to identify the sources of distress, what causes them to feel confused or foggy headed, those sorts of things. But we also want to I- help them identify things that they can do in order to enhance their concentration and their problem solving what can help you think more creatively what can help you think more clearly then we move on to physical what sources of physical distress and stress exist in your life so physical stress and distress are pretty much um, opposites of one another a lot of times being pain-free is the opposite of being in pain being healthy is the opposite of being sick you know so i just have both of, all of those in a line right here but um encouraging people to be aware of how their physical body affects their emotions and their ability to think and their and their relationships and those sorts of is really important um you can go through and one of the things i've done is i'll, I'll take something like nutrition and i will put up um or nutrition, sleep, exercise, and pain, you know, if you want to do those around the room things again, and have people go and identify one thing they could start doing today to improve that. What's one thing they can do today to start improving nutrition? What's one thing they can do today to start improving their sleep? So they're thinking about themselves and one thing they can start doing today. Again, you get a laundry list of things that, they can, that people can do, and you can take that and type it up and give it to them as a handout at the next group meeting which is one of the reasons i really like these um activities where they're actually writing on paper because i can take all that information and collate it and create a handout for them that is applicable to that group and that's pretty easy to do and then the paper it just Gets recycled. I um, probably shouldn't admit it, but I raise earthworms and composting worms. So, you know, they're real happy when they get shredded paper. So, use things that are biodegradable when you can. I know I'm trying to put the little, um, make everybody feel good with it, but um, anyhow, social distress, use stress. Love languages is another one of those that you can put around the room. The five love languages. Remember, there's um, touch, acts of service. Uh, words of affirmation, gift, and quality time. Um, I really need to create an acronym for that because I always struggle remembering all five of those. However, uh, you can do each one of those on a list and have people identify what they think would fit or something that they could do for people in each one of those love languages. Because sometimes it's hard to come up with ideas for, you know, what would I do for quality time? I have no idea what that means. And that's a place where people, when they're at that station, they can talk amongst themselves and then you can talk as a group about, you know, what they came up with. Effective communication is essential for preventing distress in relationships and personal distress. I find is easiest to identify keeping notes, you know, if you go back over your progress notes or if you write things down, or you can just ask people as they're coming in that day to write down on the whiteboard or on an index card or something. One thing that has caused um, problems, one communication issue that's caused problems in their relationship, um, in any relationship. And then you can talk about How you would communicate about it. So, if it's there, they have difficulty communicating about cleaning, they fight all the time or they argue all the time about cleaning up around the house. Well, okay, so that's one of them. If they argue a lot about punctuality and time management, that could be another one. If they argue about um, how each one spends their free time, for example, you know, that could be another one. So, then you have three things, three issues that often cause conflict in relationships, and you can rehearse in group um, effectively communicating. You can have people do the skits or role plays or whatever you want to call them. So it can be fun, but it's also a way to help people identify pressing issues that cause conflict where there's difficulty with effective communication and rehearse that in session in order to enhance self-efficacy, encouraging them to feel more confident and competent in their ability to approach their significant other, uh, their friend, whatever, and have this discussion and get their needs met. Authenticity, you want to talk about what that looks like. Part of that is mindfulness and encouraging people to figure out what they need and develop the willingness to be authentic and state what their needs are. And if they're afraid to do that, explore why. Helping them identify positive people in their life. And I enjoy doing this in my group. I have each person identify one positive person in their life and tell us why that person is positive because it creates a lot of positive energy in the room when somebody's talking about, oh, my friend. And, you know, I've given the example of my my best friend from college. She was just the most positive person. Every time you interacted with her, everything was amazing or awesome. You know, she was never just fine and she just brought such energy to the room. And when you go around the room and you have people talk about a positive person in their life, it And give examples of how that person is positive, it really creates a positive energy without those people being there. So I like doing that just to get the feeling of what it's like. And then we process at the end, you know, what does it feel like to think about being around people that are that positive? Gratitude jars. And I love these. Um, It's an activity that I just gave for Uh, people to do, especially if they're home right now because of self-quarantine or whatever, and they're stuck inside with their family members or at home with a bunch of family members 24-7, and they're starting to go a little stir crazy and get a little bit irritable. Have each person create a jar for themselves. So I'd create one for me. My daughter would create one for herself. You see where we're going. Um, And every day, Every other person in the house has to put something in your jar that states what they are grateful for about you. So that is uh, a way to encourage people to remember, you know, I am grateful for my daughter for these reasons. I'm grateful for my son for reasons. Even if he grated on my last, every last nerve today, um, which he didn't, but if he did, uh, I could remember that. And that forces me to turn my mind, as Lin- Linehan would say, to focus on what I appreciate about that person and recognize that, yeah, there things are maybe tense right now because we're all a little tense. So gratitude jars can be awesome. And those are things that people can keep with them forever. So they this, these jars get progressively full. If you keep doing it every single day for a year, then you're going to have, you know, at least 365 notes in there, unless there are multiple people in your household, you may have over a thousand little people we're grateful for, for you that day. Um, Daily blessings is another thing that that Maribel uses. And that can be a personal way of focusing on what's going on and being grateful for what we have. Um, So that's a great one to put under, for example, emotional uh, you stress having people really reflect on what they are grateful for that day, and then remembering to help people enhance secure attachment and when we are young, and I talked about this a little bit uh, Tuesday, I believe when we 're young, we develop a secure attachment with one caregiver we kind of rely on one person that's going to meet our basic needs because we can't meet our own. As adults, we're able to meet our own basic needs most of the time. So we're less dependent on one person. We're less, you know, it's less crucial. But we do need other people. And we need other multiple other people in our life. And they find that adult attachment usually occurs um, across multiple relationships. So you may have multiple people that you reach out to for different, and they fill different, um, fill different purposes in your life for lack of a better word. And the, um, acronym that I created just to kind of help you remember what is required for a secure attachment is craves consistency. We need to be there for each other. You know, if I know that if I call my friend Rita at 10 o'clock today or at two o'clock in the morning, she's going to be there. She is consistent like clockwork. We need to be responsive to each other. So when somebody is having a bad day or a good day, we are responsive and we're like, hey... Let me hear what you've got to say. There's a difference between picking up the phone and just, you know, uh uh-huh, uh-huh, and being responsive. We need to pay attention, and that means nurture that relationship even when something's not wrong, especially when something's not wrong. Relationships need to be nurtured. They need to be fed, just like plants do. Provide validation and empathy to one another that our feelings are our feelings, and they are right for because they are ours. Provide encouragement, support and solution generation. and there are other classes on the YouTube channel that really go in depth on enhancing attachment. But I do like to bring up that acronym because it's easy to remember, and it's one of those that is easy-ish to help people embrace. And environmental distress and you stress. Look around. What things do you see, smell, or hear that make you unhappy? I came home the other day and it's been raining a lot here in middle Tennessee and the dogs had just come in from being outside playing and it smelled like nasty wet dog. The whole house smelled like nasty wet dog. And that was the first thing that hit me when I walked into the house and I was just like, oh no, this isn't going to work because that makes me grumpy. I like, I'm very big on smells. So before... I did much of anything else. I had to go around and Febreze everything, air it out a little bit. Um, But being aware of the things in your environment that cause you distress and taking care of them so they don't sit there and cause you distress. If I see a dust bunny under my husband's easy chair, it drives me crazy. I have to get up and do something about it or I'm going to keep looking at it and going, that's bothering Well, just when you notice something that's distressful, get up and take care. But also add things in your environment that add positivity, sights, smells, and sounds. Um, One of the things I did in our house, you can order the throw blankets that are woven, but they have like a Thomas Kincaid print on them. And attach. You can either whip stitch it with clear thread or you can uh, just regular sewing pins. Attach a strip of material across the back edge and then you can actually put a a curtain rod through it and hang it up like a tapestry. It's not one of, it doesn't look like one of those $2,000 tapestries, don't get me wrong, but that wouldn't look like it fit in our house anyway. So, you know, that is one way you can Add some pretty things if you're not real big into paintings or you want to be able to change things out periodically. um, You can add that to your environment, your walls, whatever. People who are resilient have strong self-esteem. They have the ability to provide self-validation and self-acceptance. They don't necessarily need somebody else to always do it. Help people identify their personal strengths and positive characteristics. And I go online and I get one of the values worksheets out there. And uh you can just search for values worksheets online and there are some that have like a hundred different values, like um compassion, creativity, and I consider those characteristics and values, but that's what the World Wide Web considers them. So, you know, so be it. Um And I have people identify maybe the top five or 10 characteristics that they want to be known for. This is not what they do. It is who they are and um, characteristics about themselves. And then depending on the group, um, I've done acronym beads where we've gotten the little kids beads that have letters on them. You can even get the ones that glow in the dark. That's kind of cool if you're working with little kids, younger kids. Like teenagers and stuff, um, and they can string together beads either you know in a in a row like you would use for uh, prayer beads or something, or they can make a bracelet out of it. That and and the letters that they use represent the first letter of a positive characteristic that they have. So they can make a little bracelet instead of you know WWJD, which was one that was out for a long time. People can create a acronym bracelet that represents their strengths. They can look down. They can focus on it. Or if it's just a string of beads that they carry with them, they can pull it out when they get stressed to remind themselves of their good characteristics. They can use the paper fortune tellers. You remember we used to use these in middle school, I think, elementary, middle school. And I put a little picture down there in case you didn't know what I was talking about. But you can put your personal strengths and positive characteristics under that. And you can, you know, go through the activities of pick a number, pick a letter, pick a color, however you used to do it in school. And each time you're going to end up opening to one of the strengths that you have to remind you of what strength that you have that day. You can also have your kids do it. A fun thing to do if you've got little kids at home. Um, encourage people to separate who they are from what they do. You know, I am a therapist. I am a teacher. However, uh, those are things that I do. If I quit being a teacher, I'm not going to quit being compassionate. I'm not going to quit loving to learn. I'm just not going to be doing something doing a particular activity anymore and recognizing that is really important for a lot of people to remember who they are, even if they have setbacks, explore their thoughts about why other people's opinion matters. A lot of people who are less resilient, um, desperately crave that external validation. They look for other people to tell them they're okay. When we have strong self-esteem, we, you know, we, we love it when other people say, Oh, you're awesome. But by the same token, we're able to look at ourselves in the mirror and go, you know what? You're okay. If they, place a high priority on other people's opinion. It's important to look back at maybe prior childhood traumas or how they were raised to see where they got the message that they needed to please quote everybody all the time. We also want to explore their attributions, uh, internal and external attributions. Now, this can be good or bad, depending on what you're attributing. But if something goes wrong, the and you have an internal attribution, then you think it's about you. If it is global, it means it's about you all the time. And if it's stable, it means it can't be changed. So if I'm walking along the street and I trip, you know, an internal global stable attribution would be that I'm a klutz. And... You know, that really can't be changed. A, an external specific changeable attribution would be that I wasn't paying attention and there was a crack in the sidewalk. So if I start paying attention to those external factors, then I won't do that anymore. So it's more specific to that particular situation. I encourage people to think about the internal, global, stable attributions they have. The good ones are great. You know, that I'm creative. That is part of me. That's internal. I'm creative about most things. um, And that's relatively stable. I don't get uncreative most of the time. I I tend to be a little bit kind of outside the box and that there's no, nothing wrong with having a global internal uh, stable attribution for that. But when we have negative global internal stable attributions, like I'm stupid uh, though, that is definitely a problem. For me, I've shared with you guys before that I'm not great in math. So specific, um, external, and changeable. Math is, well, internal, actually. Math is not my strength. I recognize that. That's not a quality that I possess. It is specific to math. You know, I'm good at a lot of other things, but math is not it. And is it changeable? Well, yeah, I think it probably is if I got a tutor, but that's not something that at this point in my life, I'm really, really willing to do. Recognizing that just because I'm bad in math, you know, calculus, once they started adding, you know, Greek symbols, I was all over it. Um, Recognizing that just because I'm bad in that area does not mean that I am stupid all the time. You know, that's a horrible thing to say anyway, but that's global and stable. Recognizing that it has to do with one particular thing that is not a strength. Social support systems are also essential for resilience. They are our greatest buffer against stress and sometimes our greatest cause of stress. Encouraging people to examine their social support system to identify whether it is healthy or unhealthy. Um, Openness, empathy, compassion, cooperation, respect, and trust are all characteristics of healthy relationships encourage people in your groups to think about, number one, what does that look like? What does it look like to be open in a relationship? What does that mean? And think about your three most important relationships. And I love the number three. I don't know why, but that's what I usually use. Think about your three most important relationships. Are you open in those relationships? And then we go through empathy. We talk about what empathy looks like and whether there's Two way empathy in those sorts of relationships, I had somebody the other day didn 't know what a teeter totter was, which made me feel old um, but teeter totters used to be present on the playgrounds a long time ago. I guess it must must have become a liability and it was it 's basically a board that sits on a pivot thing, and one kid sits on this end and the other kid sits on this end, and you bounce up and down when one kid goes up, the other kid goes down, and vice versa and um, A lot of times that's how relationships are sometimes one person will need a whole lot more effort and energy because they're in a crisis but then other times (laughs) uh seesaw thank you other you may know it better as a seesaw um but in relationships sometimes people need more energy because they're in a crisis but then hopefully when the other person's in a crisis this person has some reserves to be able to be there to help them and they balance each other out and they can work in, in harmony. Anyhow, I go through each of these um, characteristics of healthy relationships and have people think about those three relationships that are most important and whether those relationships have these characteristics and how they could enhance these characteristics in those relationships. So maybe they already are open in their relationship, but how could they enhance that? How could they enhance their empathy or compassion? Most of the time, I'm not going to say all the time, but most of the time we can reflect on our relationships and say, you know what? I'm not doing my hundred percent best with that. I could be more open or I could be more empathetic sometimes or, Cooperative or whatever it is. So, encouraging them to think about how they could, you know, do that a little bit better. Maybe they're already doing it and that's awesome, but how could they improve upon that to enhance and grow that relationship? Strong social support systems also require us to know how to deal with unhealthy people. And the four biggest ones that seem to come up with the people that I work with include negative people. And these are people who are just, they see negative in everything. They say, like the sky's falling all the time you can say it's sunny and they would say you know the uv rays are gonna kill us all (laughs) you could say it's raining and they could say you know it hasn't been sunny in days i'm depressed so we we do want to help people identify um the negative nellies as may puts puts it and be willing to figure out how to deal with that Um, i had somebody in my family who was like that. And, you know, retrospectively, I realized that, you know, he had a lot going on and was in a lot of pain all the time and everything. So I understand more now that I'm an adult, why he may have been so negative. However, um, it's important to recognize when you're around somebody who's negative, a preponderance of the time, that it can be really draining. So how do you protect yourself? How do you buffer yourself from that negativity? And what can you do? You're probably not going to change them. So what can you do to keep yourself dragged down with them? Critical people are a little twist on the negativity. Negative people tend to see negativity everywhere. Critical people just see negativity in you. And they want to be critical of every single thing you do. Um, or a lot of things you do. And it's important to recognize that some people are well-meaning. Some people are doing it to make themselves feel better. There's a lot of reasons for maybe being critical. But what's important is to hear the information, hear what the person says, take what's useful and leave the rest. Sometimes what they say may not be useful at all. And, you know, that's their stuff. That's their perception. That's their right. But Other times there may be a kernel of usefulness in it that you can dust off and carry with you and leave the rest. Recognizing that that's just the way that person is um, instead of trying to fight with it and uh, defend yourself against them a lot of times because most of the time that just gets into a power struggle. Helping people develop strategies for dealing with critical people this is another one that's excellent for role plays and practice in group because like i said most of us have somebody in our life at some point who is critical then there are the people who are manipulative and self-serving they will tell you whatever They need to tell you to get you to do what they want you to do and encouraging people to be aware of and be cognizant of, is this relationship mutually beneficial or am I this person's pawn? And, and, you know, I can't make that decision for anybody, but it's important for people to really be able to evaluate their relationships and make sure that they are in a healthy you know two-way street kind of relationship but also that they're not being manipulated they're not being lied to or you know, puppet and then you have just the plain old untrustworthy people that will lie um for whatever reason it there could be a lot of reasons and i'm not speculating i'm not going to think that necessarily they were intending to be mean It could be their own pathology. For whatever reason, though, they are not trustworthy. And instead of trying to figure out the whys and get upset about why this person is lying to you, how can you protect yourself from people who are untrustworthy? Developing the skill to notice and become aware of untrustworthiness and protect yourself is a really important skill in resilience. Because... If you're relying on your social support system and they're not trustworthy, they're critical, manipulative, and negative, then you're going to have a hard time bouncing back. You want that soft, fluffy cushion there that bounces right back up with you. Self-awareness is the next characteristic, and we want people to be aware of their temperament. And they can go online to, like cur- I think it's curacy.org, could be .com, I can never remember, um, and take a brief version of what used to be the Myers-Briggs to learn a little bit more about their temperament and what they need and what types of environments they prefer, what types of careers they prefer. There's a lot you can learn about yourself and what types of situations create stress versus what types of situations are more in line with your preferences in order to create a life that is less stressful. You know, if you know that being in this environment is extraordinarily stressful to you and you have options then by all means you know you may want to look at those options instead of trying to choose the most completely stressful environment possible self-awareness also pertains to being mindful of our needs and wants in the moment what do you what do you want right now what would help you feel better what would help you improve the next moment what are your values and we already talked about that a little bit earlier what are the truly important driving forces in your life and people can create a values collage, you know, if they want, if they're compassionate, creative, whatever they are, and create some sort of collage that highlights their values so they remember, you know, what the core of them is. Another thing I like doing with them with with this activity is to get out that banner paper again and have people lay down and we draw an outline of them. And then within their outline, they can put pictures of the things that represent their values and what makes them unique and special and awesome. People who are self-aware also know what their goals are. They know what they want, what they're doing to get there, and they're aware of how they're using their energy. They're aware of their physical and emotional state in the present, if they're tired, if they're uncomfortable, if they're hot, whatever, so they can take active steps to improve the next moment you know that's where resilience comes from when when that ball is underwater you know it is not you know a happy ball so improving the next moment is figuring out how can i move towards being up out of out of the water i don't know i need to find another metaphor to use there <laughs> anyway and self awareness is just also in being aware of our triggers, positive and negative, you know, things that trigger us and it could be times of day, it could be just about anything. Self-efficacy is believing in our capacity to accomplish goals, helping people become more effective. And part of this involves encouraging people to set small achievable goals, those SMART goals, um, specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-limited Because when we set those small goals, we have small achievements, but those small achievements add up. So you start getting, it's kind of like putting a a nickel in a piggy bank. You put enough nickels in a piggy bank, you're going to have a lot of money. You put enough, you know, small successes in your success bank, you're going to have a huge success eventually. But a lot of times people don't feel confident that they are capable of moving forward. So it's important to help them. Um set a goal that's just a baby step forward so they can take that little initial step and go ha i got it you know good for me if you've got kids or grandkids or or whatever you babysat you know think about children when they're learning to walk you know first they start out by crawling and they realize oh hey this is this is forward and they are so proud of themselves. They may not be able to go very far. I remember when my f- son first started sitting up, he was so proud of himself. He couldn't sit up for long before he would start like falling over like the leaning tower of pizza. But he, uh, you could tell he was just so proud of himself. He'd get this great big smile on his face. Like, gee, I'm upright, small goals. I wasn't expecting him to go from being prone to walking. I was really happy when he got to the point where he was able to sit up or roll over. I mean, with kids, we give them a lot of latitude for small steps, and somehow we forget that along the way for ourselves. We want to encourage people in order to enhance their self-efficacy to identify their selves as survivors, not victims of circumstance. You know, this happened to me, and I survived it. You know, I have emerged from adversity instead of Crap's always raining down on me. So there's a a way of viewing it as being helpless and hopeless. And there's a way of viewing it as these are experiences that have made me stronger and, you know, more effective. Hardiness goes along with self-efficacy to a certain extent. Um, Hardiness is a combination of commitment, control, and challenge. When we are hardy, we have a commitment to multiple things in our life, not just work, Not just our kids, not just our marriage, not just this, but we've identified multiple things in our, in our world that are important to a rich and meaningful life. And we recognize that, okay, one thing may not be going so well right now, but we're committed to continuing on because we have all these other things that are also going well. This one may not be, but I'm still committed to making sure that I keep moving forward in all these others. A lot of this research or the research that I um was a part of when I was in graduate school was done with people who were recovering from open heart surgery. And these people were, you know, frustrated or scared because they had had to have open heart surgery. However, the ones that were hardy, they were committed. They would talk about being grandparents or parents or what they did for their job or their dogs or, you know, they recognized that there was more to life than just you know, their ticker and it was important for them to heal themselves so they could get back to all those other things that they were committed to. And we can help people see addiction or depression or anxiety the same way. You know, it's important for you to recognize why it's important and why it is important to you to deal with this illness or issue so you can get back to all of those other things in your life that you're committed to. Control. Involves a realistic understanding of what's within their control. Going back to the heart patients, you know, they couldn't control the rate at which their arteries had already hardened, you know, that or whatever the problem was. That was just the way it was at that point. Um, But they could control, henceforth and forevermore, their exercise and their diet and their stress levels and other things like that. So they could prevent it from happening again. They couldn't control the fact that it already happened. And they could follow the doctor's direction so they would have a full recovery and get out and be able to get back to those things they were committed to. Same thing is true for mental health or addiction issues. And challenge is viewing things as an opportunity to learn. It's not too easy, but it's not overwhelming. And it's an exciting opportunity. Instead of viewing physical therapy or whatever you've got to do after surgery to fully recover as drudgery viewing it as a challenge. I always listen to what the doctor says, you know, after I've had surgery. And if they say, it'll be six weeks before you can do it again. In my mind, I go, I'm going to do it in four, you know, just because that's the way I am. But I view everything as a challenge. And viewing things as challenges means you view them as accomplishable tasks, you know, something that can be solved or resolved, which can be which can be helpful. And when you see things as being solvable and resolvable, you see that you do have control over parts of them and you recognize how addressing the issue is important so you can focus and maintain your, your efforts on the all of the things that you're committed to then that helps you be more resilient. You're like, okay, I got this, or I need to do this, or I can do this. Problem-solving skills is the ability to conceptualize problems and brainstorm solutions. You know, that's pretty simple right there. But for some of us, it can be a little bit more difficult. Um, Getting outside the box and figuring out, okay, how, how can we actually solve this problem here is difficult for some people. You know, I tend to... Like I said earlier, I tend to be kind of an outside-the-box kind of person anyway. It's harder for me to get in the box and look at the simple solution. But that's where, you know, my social support network is helpful because they can kind of rein me in a little bit. But being able to identify issues and say, okay, you know, I see this as an issue right now. What are four ways we could solve it? Notice I didn't say three. That was real outside the box for me. (laughs) I'm goofy today. Sorry, y'all. Willingness to seek out help. A lot of times we can solve our own problems, but there are times where we do need other people's input or assistance or suggestions, and that's okay. We need to be willing to say, this is outside my pay grade. And then once we have the ability to do something and we're willing to do it, then we need to actually do it. You know, having the ability to exercise and having that gym membership and, you know, being willing to exercise is great. But if I don't ever go to the gym, it's not going to do me any good. So we need to be ready, willing, and able. Acceptance and encouraging people to recognize that radical acceptance is such an important skill because sometimes things just are. They are unfortunate. They are inaccessible. They are unchangeable. They are unfair. And I just did some work with a group the other day that was dealing with something just like this, and it was unfortunate. Um, what had happened and, and there was just no good positive explanation for it. It just, it was, and it, it sucked and there was, it was what it was. We couldn't change it. And that's where that radical acceptance comes in, noticing the situation, noticing how you feel and accepting how you feel about it without judgment and then deciding, okay, well, this is, there's no explanation for this and it's a really awful situation and i can sit here and i can think about it and i can, can get angry and i can keep searching for solutions even though i know there's likely no ready answers or i can identify ways to improve my next moment what else could i do in react situation besides try to find answers um, and willingness to accept life on life's terms without judging or trying to change unchangeable. This situation that we've got going on right now and the situation we have every year when the flu happens, viruses are going to come and go. We're going to have the flu. Uh, We're going to have things that come and go. We're not going to be able to change that. We don't live in a germ-free bubble. But what things can we change? You know, there are things we can do that we can empower ourselves to do to feel safer, which is where resilience comes in. Instead of the unresilient person would say, I just, I throw up my hands. There's nothing I can do. You know, we're all going to die, which is not a helpful way to think. The resilient person would say, okay, this flu comes around every year. What can we do henceforth and forevermore To prevent ourselves or protect ourselves is just possible. They dedicate their energy to things over which they have control. Distress tolerance. And we've gone over these skills a lot. There are lots of videos on the LCEU's channel on distress tolerance and emotion regulation. So I'm not going to go to them in depth right now. But recognizing that resilient people have the ability to feel a feeling without having to react to it. I can be angry and not have to react. I can be you know, sad and not have to react. I can, you know, I can cry if I want to, but there's nothing that I have to do necessarily. Recognizing, being mindful and saying, I am angry or I have a feeling that I'm angry right now or I'm angry, but I can choose whether or not to do in it. Encouraging people to develop statements that they can use when they notice, when they're in that noticing mindfulness place, what statement are they going to use to identify how they feel and help them get into that place where they can let the adrenaline kind of drain off a little bit so they can think more clearly. In With distress tolerance, there's generally, we try to avoid the victim stance. You made me this, that, or the other. Right now, we're just focusing on me. I am noticing. There's no active attempt to change it at this point. I'm noticing I'm angry at this moment. I am not trying to change it. I'm just trying to figure out how I feel, what I need. And I'm recognizing that the feel feelings are there to tell me something and fighting them or nurturing them only prolongs them. So I notice it and, you know, I don't try to change it right away. I notice it and then I take a moment to say, "Okay, what is the next thing I can do to improve the next moment?" You know, this moment is gone. You know, how can I improve the next I don't have to stay stuck in the mud. And finally, optimism is finding that silver lining. And people who are resilient tend to be optimistic. They view failures as learning opportunities or just one way not to do it again. Um, and these are really fun to failure, especially if you go online and you can find different quotes about failure and identify, you know, different, different ways of viewing failure, uh, as opposed to viewing it as something that is devastating, viewing it as a learning opportunity, as evidence that you stepped outside your comfort zone. You know, there's lots of different ways that we can view failure. Um, Encourage people to look at relationships with compassion um, or, you know, rainy days. Some people see a rainy day as gloomy and nasty and wet and mucky. And trust me, that goes through my mind when the dogs are running through the house with their little muddy paws. However, the other part of me says, cool, I won't have to water my garden this week. And guess what? If I go out right after it stops raining, I can wipe down my car. So, you know, God not only watered my garden, but he also washed my car for me. So score there. <laughs> uh." Whatever it takes to help you view what's the positive that can come out of this. Sometimes we have life changes and instead of seeing it as a crushing end or blow to that part of your life, you can view it as an opportunity to find a new direction. You know, things happen and, you know, sometimes they are expected, sometimes they are unexpected, but they can't be changed. Once they've happened, they've happened. So instead of viewing them as oppressive and shattering, viewing them as an opportunity to, as Mary Bell just said, reinvent yourself, find a new direction. Resiliency is the capacity to bounce back and it's a quality we can enhance in our clients while also helping them reduce the stress. I like to teach resiliency from a let's identify what's going awesome in your life and how can we make it awesome. Um, And I don't think that's actually Resilient people are aware of their vulnerabilities. They're aware of what makes them feel bad. And they work hard to minimize those vulnerabilities whenever possible. They have a healthy self-esteem. If this podcast helps you help your clients or yourself, please support us by purchasing your CEUs at allceus.com or getting your agency to sponsor an episode.